Welcome to Be Natural, the podcast featuring stories from the badass women of the film and television industry. My name is Catherine Poole, but you can call me Kat. And today I'll be talking about Ida Lupino with my guest host, Jillian Anderson. Hello, Jillian. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so if you could just introduce yourself a little bit and kind of talk about what you're interested in and what you do. I'll preface this by saying that like Cassie, who guest co-hosted our last mini-sode, Jillian is also a member of Women in Motion, which is Emerson co-curricular organization. And so without further ado, I will let Jillian talk a little bit about herself. Hi, my name is Jillian Anderson and I'm a student here at Emerson College. I'm a journalism student with a film studies minor. So I wanna go into writing about movies, writing about acting, and I love reading celebrity interviews. So it is something that I would love to do as I also act here at Emerson. I'm about to do a short film called Ritual about witches upcoming. So that should be a lot of fun. I'm excited. My character is goth and I've never played or like dressed like that before. So I'm very excited for that. But yeah, that's a little bit about me. That sounds so exciting. And so speaking of actresses, today we're going to be talking about Ida Lupino. She was an actress, but she also wrote, she directed, she produced. So she was a woman of many talents. And she was born February 4th, 1918 in Hernhead, London. And it's actually rumored that she was born beneath a dining room table during a Zeppelin raid during the war, during the First World War. So I thought that was interesting. I think that makes for a kick-ass woman. If you're like born under the table, you know, you start life strong. I feel like that's how that goes. Right. And then she also came from a background of performers. So her dad's side, especially, there was uh, a number of well-known performers. And so there's actually a quote from King Edward VII to her grandfather, where he says, you are truly the royal family of grease paint. So it was, it was very well-known in the UK. And uh, on her mother's side, too, there was also lots of talent and creativity. So her mom was a tap dancer. She was like, the fastest tap dancer alive. And, you know, her mother's sister was a filmmaker with her own little studio. So she came from a family of creatives. And then even as a child, she would direct her cousins in home movies, which I thought was really cool. I think that's so cute. I feel like you hear that a lot of like when your kids playing house and playing like different characters. Like, I definitely think that's where I started acting is like with my cousins like at Christmas like upstairs and we'd be like playing these roles you know and I feel like it's so fun to hear different actors and actresses and creatives talk about what they would do like I just read a Paul Thomas Anderson interview in Variety and he mentions that like Philip Seymour Hoffman's son Cooper Hoffman would like be in their like home videos and stuff and now he's in one of his movies which I think is crazy cool yeah it's always fun because we kind of a lot of us start in kind of the same place I think uh, exactly. It, it's really cool. And so in 1932, she entered the Royal Academy of Dramatic Arts. So she was around 14. And then by the time she was 15, she was already pretty much achieving stardom. So in 1933, she came to Hollywood to task for the lead role in Alice in Wonderland. And so from there, she signed with Paramount and she was this blonde. And, and you know, that was kind of the role she was cast in. She was, you know, if you can kind of get my meaning, very cutesy roles and things because she was this, you know, young teenager. And so she was nicknamed Loopy and she was known for being kind of eccentric. And so in her free time, she composed music. She wrote short stories and screenplays. So she really, you know, it wasn't just acting. She was already kind of exploring these other arts. And her house was nicknamed The Hotel. And then she would have her friends over and they were known as The Chums. And they would come at all hours of the night and they would just hang out and, and talk. And then she 
kind of makes a big transition in her career and she dyes her hair brown and she starts going for much more serious roles. And so she co-stars in High Sierra with Humphrey Bogart. And that film's about an escaped convict who hides in the Sierra Madres. Uh, and she's the female lead in that movie. And then, you know, she kind of makes it her mission to do more serious roles. So she has this quote where she says, Humphrey Bogart and I called ourselves the gruesome twosome. We swore that tough characters were all we would play. And then yeah. she marries her first husband, Lewis Hayward, and he was an actor in 1938. So just, you know, five years after arriving, she was pretty young. She was only 20 years old. And so they divorced in 1945. And then during this post-war period after World War II, you know, there was kind of this, the Red Scare, and there was all this uncertainty about the Soviet Union. And there was kind of these beginning accusations about communism in Hollywood. And so because of that, she goes to New York to act on stage for a little bit. And then finally in the late 40s, she decides she's going to go back to Hollywood uh, and she wants to try her hand at directing and, and doing something outside of acting. Uh, and she has this quote where she says, like, the Hollywood as a system, quote, had its primary purpose to exclude females. I mean, she's not wrong, honestly. <laughs> and it's sad that that's almost still so relevant, like that we literally have to put rules in the Oscars to like create awards for women and to try and like you have to create rules for inclusivity instead of just doing it instinctually instead of just seeing work that's done by women and saying wow this is amazing I want to recognize it and having to put rules in so it's sad that this quote from such a long time ago now you know we're about to head into 2022 and this is still an issue it's one of those things where it's a great quote but it's almost sad that it is Right. And I, I always kind of remind people and, and remind listeners that at the beginning, there were so many women in the industry, you know, when it first got started. And so to go from, you know, the very beginning and having all these women involved, you know, pioneers like Elise Guy Lachey, mm -hmm. to then going to, you know, this is the late 40s and her saying that, you know, there's really no place for women in the industry. But she does become the second woman to be admitted to the Directors Guild of America. She does have that success. And then later on, she marries Collier Young. She marries him in 1948 and they divorce in 1950, but they begin and co-own their own production company called Filmmakers Inc. And they actually co-owned it until 1980. So, wow. yeah, you have a, a dynamic divorce, you know, just a <laughs> right. Like, right. And then beginning in 1949, she co-directs, co-produces and writes a film called Not Wanted. And so this film explored the struggles of single mothers. So I think that's, you know, already a very different perspective. And it did really well. And so from there, she began to, you know, really start directing and things. And so kind of around this time in 1951, she marries her third husband. This is her last husband. His name was Howard Duff. And he was also an actor. And so they act together in a number of films. As you'll hear later on, they act in a sitcom together. And they have a daughter named Bridget together. And then in the 50s, she becomes an independent producer and director. And she tackles issues like polio and she tackles rape. So she has this film called Outrage in 1951. And Outrage and The Hitchhiker. And The Hitchhiker is actually the film that I saw that, I, that made me really, really love her work. They are both selected for the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. That is amazing. I love hearing when great films get selected uh, for stuff like that. And especially from women whose name hasn't triumphed over time. I, I think a lot of people know Ida Lupino, but not the same way, you know, 
other directors from the time. So I just think it's great that these, because I feel like to me, like some people say like, we don't need the recognition of the Oscars. We don't need recognition from like the Library of Congress, but it's not true. You know, I think women do deserve recognition, even if it's not necessarily, even if it's surface level, even if it seems kind of like performative, I think it's still important that women get their due diligence when it comes to being recognized. And so I love that her films are being put in here. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, just by winning awards and things, it sets up these creators for success because then they can get more films made. So I think that recognition can actually hold more power than some people, you know, give it credit for. So I would agree. Exactly. Like it doesn't, you know, they might be superficial on some level, but it sets the industry standard. And when you have award shows just giving, you know, awards to white male directors and writers and industry creatives, you're kind of setting the standard of what constitutes who works on a good movie. And I think it's really important to kind of break that mold so that you can see even at these superficial, stupid award shows, you can see, which I don't think so. I love watching the Oscars and everything. So this is all important to me. But even people who don't believe that, I think that it's still important because you're setting that industry standard and women should be just as in the spotlight, you know, for these, you know, the quote unquote best movies of the year, best actors. Well, of course, that's the only category. Best actress is usually the one, you know, but, you know, best writing and everything that they should be able to get that recognition too. I feel like there should be that even playing field. Yeah. And I, I kind of think even, even too, that the Oscar events like the Oscars and the Golden Globes are one of the very public facing moments that filmmakers have. I mean, unless you're a reader of, of variety and, and things like that, you're not really getting that intimate glimpse into who the filmmakers actually are. And I think that's why, you know, you have red carpets and things because you want the public's attention. And so I think it's also really influential on the people who are watching at home to then see who's winning the awards and what films are getting praised and what types of stories are being praised. Exactly. Because I think there's kind of like this mold of like Oscar bait movies and like, you know, just kind of everything in that category. And I think it's so great to break that mold. And like you said, it brings everything to the public eye. Like that's what people are talking about in that moment. And I think even if you don't pay attention to the film industry, that's something that you still come across. Like usually that makes the news, not just entertainment news, but regular news. And it's something that really comes through. And you see the people behind the scenes and you see the people who are working on cinematography and sound editing and writing. And so I think it's kind of a time for people to shine through. And women definitely deserve that opportunity to shine through as well. Yeah, I definitely, definitely agree. So back to Ida. Mm -hmm. So in her role as a director, she was known for her ability to cut costs. So she was very budget efficient. She would be able to shoot in real locations. So she wouldn't require a soundstage, which I would think would be considerably cheaper because of the building costs. And she would also reuse old sets. So she was very cost efficient. And so she was very well liked for that reason. And so moving forward, she continues to act. So she doesn't completely give up acting. She continues to do it. And she acts in films like The Big Knife and then While the City Sleeps, which is about a serial killer in New York. And then this is the sitcom time. She acts with her husband in a show called Mr. Adams and Eve. And so a little bit of context for this, her and her husband, Howard, they had pretty public marital troubles and they were frequently separated and, you know, they would even like stage stories for the press and things, you know. And so she creates this sitcom about a volatile Hollywood couple. 
And the show runs from 1957 to 58. And it actually was supposedly one of JFK's favorite shows. Wow, that's so interesting. <laughs> I wonder if he related to that on some level. <laughs> from all the movie stars. Yeah, I just think that's so... I know, I just think that's interesting that she took something that seems so personal. You'd think, even in such a public spotlight, I love that she took something that might, that you might... How do I say? I think some people kind of view like Hollywood trouble and like kind of what the tabloid headlines as something to be ashamed of. You know, it's like so-and-so, you know, we're in a fight again. But I love that she turned that narrative and took control of it and turned it into her own story. I think that's so cool. And to make a sitcom that even JFK loved, you know, I think that's really cool. And it's a sitcom. It's comedy. It's not even like she's making this really drawn out drama. Like dramatic, you know, like she's doing a, Like she's making something funny. I feel like I like that she seems to have a sense of humor about her own life. Right. It's actually so there are these two screenwriters I really love who have their own podcast called The Screenwriting Life. And it's uh, Meg LaFauve and Lorraine McKenna. And one thing that Meg LaFauve always talks about, and she wrote Captain Marvel and Inside Out, uh, she talks about finding your lava, like the character's lava. And so I, I think, you know, looking at someone like Ida Lupino, she did exactly that. You know, she just, she found the lava and she went with it. Yeah, that ability to kind of take your own personal life and be able to kind of put it out there and say, I'm going to laugh about it. It's exactly. pretty cool. I love that find your lava. But I just think some people just need to have a sense of humor about things, you know, going through life so seriously, even when, when things suck, just, you know, it creates a terrible mindset. But if you can find your lava, if you can, you know, take everything, even that you do yourself with a grain of salt, it seems like you can make something great out of it. And it becomes a television sitcom or your own creative writing. I think that's so great. And, and not to say that like her marital problems were a good thing, but, you know, she definitely handled it well. Very optimistic. I guess. <laughs> and so she kind of stays in television at that point. So she actually directs episodes of The Twilight Zone. Oh, I love that. Right. She's the only person to have acted in episodes of The Twilight Zone and to have directed them. None that were the same. She never acted and directed in the same episode. But I thought that was cool. She both acted and directed. I think that is such a cool fact. Because I feel like with The Twilight Zone, a lot of times, I just think it's awesome. I feel like there's a lot of really famous actors sprinkled in there. I'm a big Twilight Zone fan. So I'm sure I've seen some of the ones that she's acted in or directed. But you see a lot of actors. Like you see George Sakai in one of them. William Shatner is in two of them. Robert Redford is in one of them. And so I feel like I love that these kind of stars are sprinkled throughout them in a show that you often don't see. And I just love that she's also directing them because most of the time, a lot of the director's names are unrecognizable, you know, but I think when you see her name, you go, oh my God, like that is so cool to be such a part of an iconic legacy, I think, in television history. And she's, she's the only woman to direct an episode of The Twilight Zone. Yeah, which is awesome because I think... For me, a lot of the Twilight Zones have a kind of social message um, involved around them. There's, you know, ones that deal with racism and everything. So I think to kind of almost have Rod Serling and the creators put their money where their mouth is a little bit and further a really powerful woman in the industry. I think that is so cool because that is a really big step. When you think of old television, you don't think of a woman creating that milestone. Especially, I think that's a little bit surprising to me that like, or not surprising, but I love that she's the first person to do that. Robert Redford has an Oscar for directing, you know, and he's also an actor. So I think I love that there's multiple people on this show who could have done that. And she took the trophy. And I think that's so cool. And I think it's just an attestament 
to her talents to be able to direct something so intellectually provoked well as act in something like that. I think that just takes so much talent. And I think that just is really a testament to what she can do. Yeah, definitely has the range. Especially from sitcom, you know, to Twilight Zone, like to be able to flip back and forth between that. I think that's really impressive. Yes, I do wish there had been more women to have directed episodes of the Twilight Zone. Of co- uh, course, of course. I wish I wish they were all directed by women, but <laughs> sadly, maybe not every but, single one of them. But, but we'll know. take what we can get. Yes, exactly. <laughs> From that time, at least, you know, exactly. we can we can push for better now. Yeah. Um, and so she also directs episodes of Gilligan's Island and The Untouchable. The range, the range. <laughs> right? And that's something else I found interesting was her directing style. So... She kind of talks about how she really hated when women ordered men around. And so she really wanted to kind of avoid, I guess what today we would call, you know, I don't want to call it like the bitch effect, but this kind of sense of if a woman's taking charge, then that must somehow equate to, you know, her being in that way. Mm -hmm. And so she had a very different approach. So she was nicknamed Mother and it was embroidered on her director's chair. And she would say, you know, well, you know, mother really, can you do this for mother, you know, and things like that. And they would do it. That was, yeah. I love that. I love that she was like, okay, girl bossing, it doesn't work. I'm going to try something different because I feel like there's such a stigma around like strong women. But I think also one thing I get a little bit tired of is when strong women are just portrayed as like this really tough, really you know, just kind of mean woman, like you can be really nice and still have a huge impact on people and you can still be, um, yeah, impactful. And so I like that she kind of twisted this narrative, you know, and kind of said, you know, I don't want to do this. I'm going to do it in my own way. And she made that work. And I love that. Right. And it sounds like that either approach is wrong, but that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, neither, neither is wrong, but I think she noticed what worked for her. Exactly. She wanted to be portrayed and she took control of that. Exactly. Once again, she stopped. She just stopped directing by the early 70s, but she continues to act. So, you know, even she's in her 60s now and and getting older. And like I said, she did have very public marital problems with Howard. So they actually spend the last 11 years separated from each other of their marriage and they divorced in 1983. So you know, a little bit, a little bit sad. And so I guess there, there is kind of a, a sad element to this story. She did struggle with drinking as she got older and things. And then, but she did, she did live to be, you know, pretty old. She died August 3rd, 1995. Oh my God. So was she at like over a hundred? She wasn't at over a hundred. So she was born in 1918. That was 1918. So, I thought you said 18 something. Oh my God. I can do math. I swear. <laughs> So she was 77. Still, that's a very long life. That's very respectful. (laughs) That's my mental math at the moment. (laughs) But yeah, so that is Ida Lupino. I was introduced to her through The Hitchhiker, which I watched once again in my history of media arts class freshman year. But I highly recommend that if anyone wants to go to her work and kind of have a first movie to try. I love listening to her story becoming from actress and kind of not being taken seriously as kind of like these little kind of cutesy roles, like you said, and kind of trying to change. I like that it seems an often part of her story is taking control of her own narrative, which I really like. I like that she takes control of her life and what people might think about her instead of letting other people force their own roles onto her. But I also think that her kind of life trajectory follows 
what a lot of women in the industry do right now. Even like we see Olivia Wilde starting as an actress and then moving into directing these movies that are not only really popular, but really anticipated. And now we're getting really big actors. Like, you know, she started with Booksmart and I think that was really well received. And then going into this next one with Harry Styles and Florence Pugh. So I think there's a lot of women in the industry who follow this trajectory, kind of working, starting as an actress, trying to be taken more seriously, and then moving into producing or directing or creating their own forms of media. And so I love seeing kind of where this started from and that she stems as a good role model for all of that. Um, But I love seeing her influence this late. Like I said, it's sad her earlier quote applied so late in time. But I also love that her influence is still here, that we can still see that. So I think that's really cool. Awesome. So for my sources for this, I used a Vanity Fair article. It's titled Ida Lupino, Hollywood Renaissance Woman, and it's written by Hadley Hall Mears. I also used TCM's profile. So on their website, you can look up a lot of filmmakers and find a profile on them. It'll also give you access to some of their films or, you know, links to some of their films and a little bit of information about them. So that's a great resource to check out. She also did have an IMDb page, which had Uh, a bit of trivia and things. And then lastly, there was a page on her from the UCLA Library Film and Television Archive, which is also another great resource to check out. So yeah. So before we go, Jillian, if people want to read your work or see you act or just learn more about you, where should they go to do that? Well, if they want to just know more about me, you can follow me on Instagram, which is GKAnderson27. I also have a Her Campus page where I write for Emerson. And I think that, ooh, I don't exactly know the URL, but if you go to Emerson's Her Campus page, I'm one of the authors listed on there. I also write for Entertainment Monthly and I edit the articles there. So all of the film section articles are edited by me. That's Emerson's Entertainment Magazine. So that's EmertainmentMonthly.com. And... Hopefully you'll be able to check me out soon in other pieces of media as well, like this short film that's coming out, as well as I'm in something called The Trial of Errors, which is a movie I did here at Emerson, and that's on YouTube if you Google that. But Instagram is the best way to come in contact with me if you have any questions or anything else. But I would love for you guys to check out some of my writing as well. Thank you. Yeah, and so if you want to send me the link to your her campus i will make sure to put that in the description oh i absolutely will thank you (laughs) so you if you can't if you didn't hear it here you will see it in the description perfect (laughs) all right so thank you again so much for doing this oh thank you Uh, so much for having me yeah and to everyone else have a great week and remember to be natural